So 2 Peter 2, 1 starts, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. This is a pretty serious um, warning from the Apostle Peter to those who were uh, there as his audience listening or reading, to it, reading his letters. He goes on to say in verse 17, where our passage starts for this morning, that these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Waterless springs. What good are waterless springs? Not, not much good. And these false prophets are not much good for the body of Christ, these false teachers. If you travel around Israel, you notice a lot of what are called wadis. They are previous streams that during the, um, the dry season, they dry out. And you have this nice little stream bed, but it's totally useless because there's no water in it. So these teachers, these false teachers are like waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Now that's a little bit harder to understand. So I'm going to take you into a little bit of meteorology here. Um, it would be much easier if we had the slides up, but uh, <laughs> a thunderstorm. <clears throat> Thunderstorms are extremely dangerous. We see them from the ground. The biggest effect they usually have on us is just dumping rain on us. But actually when a thunderstorm forms, it forms from a large updraft of moist, warm air. And that updraft, nope, not yet. And that updraft uh, carries with it all of this moisture into the air. And when it passes the temperature of the dew point, it begins to condense out clouds. Clouds are just little drops of water. And we've seen these thunderstorms building, and you, you look outside, you see these towering cumulus clouds that are the sign of thunderstorms coming. And as these little droplets that we see as clouds begin to move in the atmosphere and collide with each other, they start coalescing into large droplets and larger droplets and much larger droplets until the updraft can no longer hold them up in the atmosphere. And they begin to fall. And as they fall, they hit other droplets and get larger, and they bring with them the atmosphere around them. And so we have a significant downdraft as this thunderstorm meets the uh, the, the mature stage of the thunderstorm. Now, how big are these updrafts? You know, the thunderstorms are probably the biggest peril that we pilots face as we fly uh, because these updrafts can be significantly strong, up to over 6,000 feet per minute. Now, 6,000 feet is one nautical mile, and you probably don't know that in aviation, a lot of our stuff came from the maritime uh, terminology, and so we don't deal in statute miles like we do when we're driving our cars. We deal in nautical miles. A statute mile is 5,280 feet. A nautical mile is 6,000 feet. So these um, updrafts, 6,000 feet per minute, that's one mile per minute. Well, one mile per minute is 60 miles an hour. So imagine flying along nice and straight and level, and all of a sudden you hit an updraft of 60 miles an hour. Significant problem for us, for the structure of the airplane. But that's not the worst part, because as you continue through those updrafts, you hit the downdrafts from the precipitation that can be just as fast in the opposite direction, 60 miles an hour down. So now you've just had a 120 mile per hour change in your direction, vertically and both up and down. And that kind of a change can rip the wings off an airplane. 
So it's a peril for us. But if you've ever seen a thunderstorm and you've looked at it, maybe when you're driving, you see a thunderstorm in the, different, in the distance, and you see this rain coming, but it never hits the ground. That's called virga. And that's what Peter's talking about here. That mist that gets pushed ahead of the thunderstorm, but it evaporates before it hits the ground. So waterless springs are of no use to us, and neither is virga. It looks really nice, and we, ni we expect a nice refreshing shower, but that never reaches the ground. We never get the effect of that water. So <clears throat> we have uh, these perils in flying that are also perils in our teaching. Imagine you've been taught something your whole life, and all of a sudden somebody comes along that is teaching you just the opposite. I mean, tearing down what you thought you knew so well and you understood so well. So I want you to put your, yourself in a position now not of a, uh, a, a seasoned Christian, but of a person who is almost a brand new Christian, not quite yet accepted Christ. And there are several places in the Scripture where the writers talk specifically about those who are close to accepting Christ, they understand the way, they've seen the teaching, they've even seen the working of the Holy Spirit in other people, and yet they have never come to the point where they have actually accepted Jesus Christ as their own Savior. And what we're reading about in this last part of, of 2 Peter 2 is those kinds of people. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 6 talks about the same kind of people, and he, and he says, if they back away from Christianity, from actual faith in Christ, it is impossible to renew them back to salvation. It's a perilous position to be in. You know how to accept Christ, but you've never done it. And then along comes one of these false teachers who tells you that everything you thought you knew is wrong, and you back away, never coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, never escaping the wrath of God that rests on all of us but has been abrogated by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for those who know him as Savior. So Peter goes on to say about these teachers, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. The gloom of utter darkness, that's, that's bad. That's been reserved for them. Eternal punishment, eternal darkness. He goes on to say, for speaking loud boasts of folly, <laughs> you know, boasting is not a really good thing to do. But if you have a reason to boast, then perhaps, you know, you have a, a son or a daughter that just graduated from college and did really well. I mean, you might want to boast about that. But how many of us would feel comfortable boasting about our folly? And yet that's what these false teachers are doing. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They are barely at the point where they're accepting Christ. And now all of this enticement, all of this temptation, all the pleasures of the world have been relayed to them by these false teachers saying, yeah, that's what you need to do. That's what life's really all about. Enjoy life. Do what you want to do. And so we see these who are espousing error to those who are barely escaping from the unsaved group. The word barely there 
uh, is actually a word called oligos in the Greek, and it means almost, almost escaping from the, the sins of the world and their own sins. So we, we don't see them as those established Christians who know what's right and are trying to live their lives for Jesus Christ. These are those who are right on the edge. In verse 19, Peter says, they, they, that is the false teachers, promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Wow. There is a movement afoot today, and we've talked about it a little bit before, called this idea of deconstruction of Christianity. And it's aimed at young people whose faith is new, whose faith is not as strong as it will be later in life, and they start to tell them that, well, you can't trust what Paul writes because he was a misogynist, so just ignore that stuff. And the Old Testament really doesn't apply to us. The only thing you can really rely on is, is the Gospels, and, and even those are more stories than anything else. And they are deconstructing the faith of men and women and young people today. Uh, there's a, a group called the Holy Heretics, or it's actually part of the Sophia Society, which has as its primary goal to deconstruct the Christianity of those who are weak in the faith. There's a, a new book that's come out recently by Peter Bogosian, who is an atheist, and it's called A Manual for Creating Atheists. It is all about deconstructionism and how to pose hypothetical questions to young believers in order to get them kind of wondering, how could this be, you know, how could this, what I think I believe, how could that be? So there is an active movement to deconstruction the faith of those who are either very new to the faith, very recently put their faith in Christ, or as in the case of these deconstructionists, which is what these false teachers are, those who are barely escaping the sin in their lives and haven't yet committed to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Uh, one of my favorite movies is, um, is called The Ultimate Gift. And if, you, if you've seen The Ultimate Gift, you know what I'm talking about. But at one point, there's Bob Dylan's song, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody, plays in the background. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And what these deconstructionists, these false teachers are doing is they are saying, you know, this is a hard road you've chosen. It's much easier if you just give in to your sensual desires. Just give in to what's pleasurable. And the, the false teachers themselves are already slaves. Slaves to what has overcome them, sin and passion. Peter goes on to say, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Very similar to what the, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 6. If they know what, what salvation is all about and they've been a part of a group that teaches the right things and so on and so forth, and then they back away, it's impossible to renew them again to salvation. 
If we look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 7, that's a section in 2 Timothy 3 where he's talking about what's going to happen in the future and what mankind is going to be like. And one of the things he says in verse 7 is, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These ones who are involved in a fellowship like this and they've experienced vicariously some of the things that are going on in the Holy Spirit and, and so on, and yet they turn away again to something that is new, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, never able to come to the point where they are willing to commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sad situation. So Peter says it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was delivered to them. You know, I would be very naive to think that there aren't some in this group, in this room, Perhaps you've been meeting with us for a while. Perhaps you've been listening to what's been said from the platform. Uh, you've been singing the songs and enjoying just the, the camaraderie and fellowship of those around us. And you've been learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been learning about what his word teaches. But you have never come to the point in your life where you have said, yes, Lord, I, I want you to forgive my sins. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. have never done that. You are in the same precarious position that Peter is talking about right here. Right on the edge. Your knowledge is, is building. Your, your knowledge about who Jesus Christ was. Your knowledge of maybe some of the Old Testament stuff. But you've never come to the point where you are willing to commit your life to the truth of what God's Word teaches. That's a very perilous position. Don't stay in that position. Hebrews 6, this is that little passage I was talking about. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, that's their mind being enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come and then have fallen away. Now, it might sound from that description as if these are really Christians here. But if you look at the under, if you understand the, the Greek behind it, the word tasted there is the same word that's used for Jesus on the cross when they tried to give him vinegar and he tasted it, and after he tasted it, he would not drink it. That's the taste that we're reading about here in Hebrews chapter 6. They've shared in the Holy Spirit, not that the Holy Spirit has indwelt them as he does with true believers but that they have seen the effects of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a whole list of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But those manifestations allow us to see what he does, to recognize it's him who's doing it, but it's not the same as having the Holy Spirit within us after true salvation. So this description of those who have come very close, close enough to observe, to even taste what Christianity is about, but they have then backed away. And, it says, and he says, the writer of the Hebrews, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm 
and holding him up to contempt. Yeah, I knew all that stuff. I heard all that stuff. I was in church. I, don't go. I asked my students the other day, um, how many of you went to church before you came to school? You know, had a good number of hands went up. And I asked them, how many of you are going to church now? Much fewer number, much lower number. Why? Well, yeah, I heard all that stuff before, I know, but, but here I am, I'm, I'm free, I'm, I'm making my own decisions, and that's just not a decision I want to make. Not a very healthy decision. So the writer of the Hebrews says that these who have not yet made a decision for Christianity and are backing away from it, they are like crucifying Christ all over again. In their minds, he is now crucified again. Not for their redemption, but just crucified and out of the way. He's no longer a concern for them because they've changed their mind. This is what those false teachers are trying to get across to the believers that Peter is writing to. Yes, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God. But they never made a decision for Jesus Christ. Back in 2 Peter 2, verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. Speaking of these uh, believers who, uh, or close to believers, I should say, who turn away because of the teachings of these false teachers. It says, the true proverb has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Those aren't very nice pictures. Those of us who have had dogs, we've seen that. And we always, yeah, how can you do that? But that's what these people are who turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, this is chapter 3, verse 17 that we'll get to, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You know, there's a great benefit of actually knowing Jesus Christ. There are tons of them. Obviously, we're forgiven of our sins. We have eternal life, all of these things that we enjoy. But you know, one of the things that I enjoy the most of being a believer, and aside from looking forward to being in the presence of my Savior, is that I can live in a state of peace. Peace. Not only peace with God because my sins are forgiven, but the peace of God that he promises to give me if I turn my life over to him. He promises to give me a peace that goes beyond all understanding. And living your life in peace is a tremendous benefit of salvation. Perhaps not the biggest, but certainly an important one. But people who are in this situation, who give in to these kinds of false teachers, and they're all over the internet, and they're all over the television, people who give in to this are being carried away with the error of lawless people, and they have no stability. Maybe you know somebody who doesn't have any stability. They're going this way, and they're going that way, and, and it's like, wait, just do one thing and do it well, you know? That's all you need to do, one thing at a time. But they have no stability, and they're all over the place. And we all know people like that. 
But putting your faith in Jesus Christ brings stability. It brings fellowship with others who are like-minded. It brings you peace. It gives you eternal life. Why would someone want to get so close and never make that decision for themselves? I trust that that's not the condition that you're in this morning. This is a short passage, just about five verses, but the message it has is phenomenal. Do not be deceived by those who teach you contrary to the word of God so that you lose that opportunity to come to Christ and to actually experience salvation because it's impossible to renew these people back again. You're right on the edge of a cliff if you're in that condition. One step back, and you're in the family of God. One step forward, and no matter who it is, you, you can't be revived from that fall. So I pray for you this morning that if you're in that condition and you're that close, do not listen to those who would turn you around, these false teachers. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and do it now before these kinds of things turn you in the other direction, because it will be too late then. Heavenly Father, your word is so powerful. We are so grateful that as we open it and we read it, we see in it the truth that is missing in the world. We see in it the guidance that we so desperately need and the peace that you promised to give us. Father, I pray for each one here, especially those who... Maybe if you've been studying your word but have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior so that he can forgive your, their sins and, and they can be the recipients of eternal life, I pray that your spirit would work in their hearts to convince them of the peril that the Apostle Peter is talking about here, that they would come to a saving knowledge of the one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.